Amen. You may be seated. I want to invite you to take a copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark. The Gospel according to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Uh, but we're not going to go back and revisit uh, that verse that we preached uh, last week. We're just going to read it to help you understand the context here of uh, what uh, Mark is sharing with us and uh, what he's wanting to do uh, in our lives, what the Lord is wanting to do in our lives through the pen of Mark, uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as we learn about the life and ministry of John the Baptist. And you may be here this morning and saying, what in the world am I going to possibly learn from John the Baptist? Well, there's a ton of things to learn, uh, not only from John the Baptist, but things that he teaches us about Christ, and things that he teaches us about how we can be a more a committed believer uh, in Christ and how God has used him in such a tremendous, tremendous way. So if you will, begin reading with me in verse 1 of John of Mark chapter 1 and listen to what uh, Mark says. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I mean, Mark just jumps right in. He doesn't do what many of the other gospel writers do. Matthew, Luke, certainly, and even in some uh, occasions, he doesn't do what John does. There is no genealogy of the Lord that we find uh, in Matthew and Luke. There is no miraculous birth narrative. There are no mention of Bethlehem or shepherds or no visit of the wise men. We don't see him growing up in Nazareth, uh, learning woodworking from Joseph. There's no story of Jesus visiting the temple as a boy. There is uh, no Luke 2.52 mentioned here about how Jesus grew and wisdom and stature and favor with God and consequently in favor with men. We, we don't see any of that unfolding here in Mark. It's like that Mark has a message for these Roman Gentiles to hear, these Jews who are gathering themselves in Rome, and he's wanting to remind them that Jesus has come as the suffering servant, and he wants you to know all you can possibly know about Jesus and that's the wonderful thing about studying the book of Mark as we open it together and start working our our way through these verses and through the through these passages it is that God is going to teach us not only about the life death burial and resurrection of Christ that gospel story but he's going to do it in such tremendous ways that it affects our discipleship it affects our view of who Jesus really is and how he works in our hearts and lives day by day. And ultimately, it's going to focus on his passion for, um, from chapter 11 through chapter 16. It just focuses on that whole last week in Jerusalem and that passion narrative and what we learn about the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ 
and his atonement for our sins. Uh, in my Bible that I studied with, it's my preaching Bible, and so, uh, and there's a paper that I use to mark up this text. There are two uh, verses that I have underlined here. Uh, there is verse 1 that we preached about last week. There is verse 4. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. I would encourage you today to mark those in your Bibles. And then think along with me in verses 7 and 8. You may want to mark them as well. Because the Mark reminds us that, and John preached saying, after me comes one who is mightier than I. He's pointing the way to Jesus. And he says, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He speaks of this devotional heart of John the Baptist. And then in verse 8, he says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now when we come to John the Baptist, uh, there's a lot of questions that arise when you start uh, thinking about John the Baptist. Were these people that were coming to John in the wilderness, being baptized in the Jordan, were they saved the same way that we are saved? Were they forgiven of their sins right then and there? And was their name written down in the kingdom of heaven? Were they right then and there called Christians? And I would say to you that they weren't saved in the same fashion that we were saved. They exercised faith, so they were saved in the same way that Old Testament believers were saved. They were looking forward to the Messiah that John would be proclaiming, and they had taken this tremendous first step, right, of obedience for them, and that was they were beginning to recognize their sins. And so as we work through verses 2 through 8, will you write down these three thoughts today? Will you write these down? And I really want you to hold on to them because in the life of John, we're not only going to learn about uh, John and, and how he was this uh, wonderful a prophet of God, but we're going to learn how uh, his life and how his ministry is uh, really an example for us to follow in so many ways. And so, uh, will you write this phrase down? The fulfilled promise of God's word that teaches us patience and hope as we wait for Jesus' return. Who is John the Baptist? He is this fulfilled promise of God's word that teaches us patience and hope as we wait for Jesus' return. Who is this John the Baptist? He is this forerunner who's prophesied to come that teaches us obedience in obscurity is better than disobedience in popularity. It's really important that you understand that. And then the third thing is, who is this John the Baptist? He is this faithful preacher of the gospel that teaches us repentance of sins is a prerequisite to understanding the good news. I hope that you will wrap your head around that this morning. That the Holy Spirit will take the truth of this passage and penetrate it deep into your heart as he is working that in my heart as well. The fulfilled promise of God's word that teaches us patience and hope, patience and hope as we wait Jesus return. Who is John the Baptist? Look with me at verse 2. He says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face, the face of the Lord. What in the world can a guy who came uh, 2,000 years ago 
And verse 6 tells us he's clothed with camel's hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. What can John the Baptist possibly teach you and I today about patiently waiting for the Lord's return? Why is it that Mark draws our attention right off the bat in verses 2 and 3 to an Old Testament passage? Because in John the Baptist, we see the fulfillment of God to his word, not in the person of Christ, right? Christ is the fulfillment of that new covenant that would be coming. Christ is the fulfillment of the grace and the mercy that we would receive for everyone who would turn to him in believing faith. But we see as John the Baptist comes that he is a fulfillment of the promise of God's word. And what we should learn about that is that it teaches us patience is hope as we wait for the Lord's return. Mark actually is quoting in verses 2 and 3 from Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. He's quoting from Malachi chapter 3, 1, and really the heart of that verse, he's quoting from Exodus 23, 20. John is Jesus' messenger that was promised uh, in his word in the Old Testament uh, through Malachi, <clears throat> through Isaiah, and uh, through the pen of Moses as Moses was walking with the Lord. We see that as he proclaims, as it's written in Isaiah the prophet, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. This voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Mark is reminding the Roman audience that he's writing to that after centuries of Israel, hoping and longing and waiting for the anointed Messiah, that the day of his coming was drawing near. And so he's saying God is true to his word. And what he has promised, he can bring to pass. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that God is true to his promised word? The word that we read here in scripture, the word that we give ourselves to when we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, do you believe that the promises that are contained within God's word, that God is able to, to fulfill them? See, God was teaching Israel patience and hope by sending John the Baptist that they could begin to see the word and promise of God being fulfilled in their own time. Centuries had passed. Do you realize at this particular time, God had been silent for over 400 years in the life of Israel. I mean, they were waiting for a prophetic voice. They had been waiting for this Messiah. But we see because of their disobedience in the Old Testament because they did not learn what God wanted them to learn in exile, that when they are returned even to Jerusalem, they wander and their heart strays again. And so we see that God just goes silent. He goes silent for over 400 years. And so people are thinking, all of these Israelites are thinking, is that word that the prophets of old spoke to us, is it ever going to come to pass? But what God was doing was teaching hope and he was teaching patience to the nation of Israel. I want you to think about what Peter has to say about that because there's a tremendous, tremendous message in that. See, the prophets were not only speaking for the context and time in which they were writing and that audience in which they were living, but the prophets also were writing for those believers who would be living during this time of John the Baptist and certainly during the time of Jesus. 
certainly those Israelites who would be uh, coming to faith in Christ and living for him uh, after the resurrection and after his ascension and after uh, the Lord uh, sent the Holy Spirit and it descended from heaven and filled those believers' hearts. I want you to listen to what Peter says about that. He says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, that the prophets were not serving themselves, but you and the things that you have now uh, been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. See, that word that, that the prophets were given by the Lord to speak to Israel was not only for them in that time, which it was, but it was a word for those who would be living during the time of John the Baptist, the time of the ministry of the Lord here on earth. But can I say to you that that word that was given in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, in Malachi, in Exodus, that word is still true today. It's a promise that was spoken not only for Israel, but it's a promise that is spoken to us as well. Listen to what Psalm says. Psalm 37, 7 says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Psalm 40, verse 1 says, I've waited patiently, David says. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me, and he heard my cry. Listen to Psalm 43, 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within, within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Oh, my brothers and sisters, if you are here and you're thinking to yourself, my faith wavers because if I'm brutally honest, I don't see God at work like I believe that he tells us he's going to be at work in his word. If you're here today and you say, my faith is not as strong as it should be because I'm waiting for God to bring this to pass in my life, whatever it is that you've prayed about, whatever it is you're trusting God for, maybe something that you believe is God's plan for your life, and you're thinking to yourself here today, is that ever going to come to pass in my life? And I want you to understand the point of what's happening when John the Baptist comes on the scene. Every Israelite that knew that Old Testament promise began to say, is this Elijah? Is this the forerunner of the Messiah? Is this the one who is going to make straight the paths of the Lord? That means he's going to prepare the way of the Lord. Is this the one? So what are you and I to take away from that particular phrase as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. Jesus, my brothers and sisters, is true to his word, and he's true to every bit of his word. You can trust his word. You can take him at his word. If your trial or your suffering or your turmoil seems long, you shouldn't cast away your hope, but you should patiently wait for God to fulfill his word. And you say, preacher, it's hard and it's difficult. It is hard and it's difficult, but what God's wanting to do in us is a lot more important than what God wants to do through us. Did you hear that this morning? What God wants to do in you 
is more important than what God wants to do through you. And so he calls us to patiently wait for his return. He calls us to patiently wait for his promise to be fulfilled in our hearts and lives concerning our, our plan, his plan for our lives, for things that we have prayed about that are according to his will that we're just waiting on. It's like the single girl who's saying, God, I, I'm just praying and trusting you give me a, a godly man to come in my life and, and someone that I could fall in love with and marry and that and my life would just be perfect from then on out. And that, that girl goes from 16 to 18 to 21 to 25 and to 28, and then there starts to be the whispers of she's an old maid, wonder if she's ever going to get married, and that, that girl is starting to think, God has no one for me. God may call you to a life of singleness, and his plan is greater than your plan, or God's timing might be just completely different than your particular timing. But God's word remains true. So my brothers and sisters, can I encourage you today to allow God to develop patience in you? Can I encourage you to put your hope and faith in the Lord? It's hard to do when everything that you touch in your life is on demand now. Would someone say amen? I mean, we're just living in an on-demand society. You want a movie, you click a button, and there it is on your TV screen, right? You want to make a phone call, you make a phone call at any time. You need a flashlight, you don't have to go to your trunk anymore. It's in your pocket, right? You need your calendar, you don't have to go and get a binder out anymore. It's right there on your phone. You need to uh, communicate and send uh, some sort of message to somebody. You don't have to have a walkie-talkie, right? You don't have to have some sort of, of uh, a radio. What you only have to have right now is a phone, right? You can just shoot somebody a text or pick up and make that call. Everything is instant. Everything is immediate. And my brothers and sisters, I would remind you that the New Testament teaches us that patience is a virtue. Not that it's a virtue in and of itself, but faithful patience and waiting and hoping goes hand in hand with the sovereignty of God. When you get anxious, when I get anxious, and I struggle with that, I struggle with anxiousness. When we struggle with that, it raises a question of what do I believe to be true about God's sovereignty, his control over my life, and his love over my life. My brothers and sisters, I want to say to you, God loves you perfectly. He makes no mistake in the way that he loves you, in the way that he cares for you, in the plans that he has for you. Somebody let that guy in. <laughs> you know what he's done. Let Mike Downs in. He forgot to move his clock up. Come on in here, brother. Don't, don't worry about it. I'm glad to open the door for you. You forgot to set your clock up. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay, my brother. Listen, I'm, <laughs> you did, Stella. Oh, you did. <laughs> uh, I know them well and love them, and so I would not do that uh, to Mike. I know some of you visitors just say, I ain't never going back. He's going to call me out. But uh, I love you, brother, and I'm glad you're here. 
And uh, listen, so we just have to say, I'm going to patiently wait and hope in my sovereign God. This Lord who loves me, this Lord who cares for me, this Lord who has everything figured out, the things that I don't, He does. If you believe that to be true, say amen. So the first thing, the fulfilled promise of God's word that teaches us patience and hope as we wait for Jesus' return is the first thing that John the Baptist is. But here's the second thing. Who is John the Baptist? He's the forerunner prophesied to come that teaches us obedience and obscurity is better than disobedience and popularity. Look at that last phrase of verse 2 and then that second portion of verse 3. Mark says, who will prepare your way as he, um, as he quotes or he mentions these Old Testament passages? Who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make, path, make his path straight. As forerunner to Jesus, John was seen as not only the, being the beginning of this fulfillment of the coming Messiah, but also he had this task of making sure that the road was clear and the people were ready for the introduction of the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. See this concept of a forerunner, somebody who would come before a king, was not something new. This is not a new concept uh, for the Israelites like it would have been us. A matter of fact, it was a custom. Kings in the east before they would travel west, they would always send a delegation. Sometimes it would be one or two people. Sometimes it would be an entourage of people who would go before the king to make sure that the, were, that the roads were passable. They would make sure that there were no thieves along the way. They would want to go ahead and make sure that the city or the town that they were going was prepared for the coming of this king into their town. And so where this idea of a forerunner is something new to us as we read it in Scripture and as we've heard it throughout our life and we think, why was this so important? Why, if, if Mark's so quick to get to the gospel, why is John the Baptist, is, why is he important? Well, he's not only uh, this fulfillment of the, of the Word of God we see in the Old Testament, but he is this picture and this example to us how obedience and obscurity is better than disobedience and popularity. He's about to announce and herald and present the greatest king who has ever lived. He who would ever live. He is about to present to us Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes we fail to appreciate how important the preparatory work of the Lord is. English says any great work of God begins with great preparation. And John wonderfully fulfills this important ministry of making straight the path for the Lord. I want you to understand what he was doing. He was coming, as and we're going to see in a minute in the message, he was proclaiming this wonderful gospel, this wonderful message of repentance. But before he gets there, he's doing that work of preparation. He is being prepared by his mother Elizabeth. He's filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that he was in his mother's womb. He lives a life of almost obscurity in the shadows of Jesus his whole life. When he comes, he doesn't come as a suffering servant or this king 
as John comes, John comes as this one, as Mark presents him in the other Gospels, he's clothed in camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I don't know about you, I hope he pulled the legs and the wings off those locusts, right? And uh, before he dipped them in that honey. I mean, he's coming as this dude that's been living out in the wilderness. He's coming as someone who had taken a Nazarite vow. He's coming as one who is about to present Jesus. And John realized that he was not Jesus. Nor would he ever be Jesus. His life and ministry was to point to Jesus no matter the time or the place or the cause. John's life is an example to us that when you serve the Lord, that we sometimes do that in obscurity. But obedience in obscurity is better than disobedience in popularity. My brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people who want to serve Jesus in the popular places. There's a lot of people who want to serve Jesus for the gee whiz and the hallelujahs and the celebrations. I'm not for sure we're meeting the proper amount of people who want to celebrate Jesus in his trials and his sufferings and in his hardships. And if you say, Pastor, that's uncomfortable. It is. But it's part of the gospel message. The gospel message is not we come to Christ, we experience all that heaven has to offer right now in the here and now, only to go through the misery of sickness and death, then only to go to heaven. No. The message of the gospel is this. To follow Christ demands our all. It demands for us to look to him and realize Jesus is the one who died and rose again, and if he has given his life for me, I should give my life for him. That is nowhere better seen than in the persecuted church around the world. These brothers and sisters come to Christ at their own peril. They come to Christ, if you're a Muslim, you come to Christ, you come to Christ at the risk of offending your mother and your father. You know that when a Muslim daughter comes to faith in Christ, that oftentimes the father will require them to be put to death. And they have to flee not only their home, but their community in order to follow Christ. We just don't know a lot about that in Glasgow, Kentucky, right? And see, so if you say, preacher, what does that mean to me today? What, what should I learn from that? Here's what I want to say to you. Being faithful in the hard, difficult times to present Jesus as this wonderful king who has taken away your sins, this wonderful savior who has suffered and died for you, no matter how hard and difficult it is, it is worth it all. You say, why is that? Well, listen to what Jesus said. He said it this way of his cousin John. He said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You hear what he's saying? He 
He's saying this. John the Baptist was the greatest preacher who ever lived, who was born among women and men. It was John the Baptist. No one was greater than him is what Jesus said. But he said this. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than John the Baptist. My brothers and sisters, John the Baptist is a reminder and it's a call for us to be obedient to the Lord no matter how difficult the situation is and not to confuse popularity with obedience because popularity can really be disobedience. If you've got it, say amen. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought if I came to Christ, I thought it'd be like Jesus that everybody would follow me. I thought if I came to Christ, man, it would all be gee whiz and hallelujah. I just want to say to you, that's a tremendous misunderstanding when you read the gospel from the beginning and the end. You understand the cost that Jesus not only paid for us, but the cost that he calls us to pay as we're identified with him. Jesus has a great work for us to do. And that work is to allow him to mold us and shape us and make us so that we may be obedient to him and his plan for our life, no matter how trivial or difficult or obscure it may possibly seem. One of these things leads to perseverance and purpose and eternal life. I'm talking about obedience and obscurity. And then the other which is disobedience and popularity leads to insecurity, uncertainty, and eternal death. My brothers and sisters, do not confuse the two. Trust Jesus in those small matters and issues of life, those trials as difficult as they may be, when your marriages are strained, when your teenagers are rebellion, rebelling, when you have a terrible diagnosis from the doctor, when things are just falling apart in your life, I want to encourage you to be obedient to the Lord and wait for Him in those times. If you've got it, say amen. And then here's the third thing. Who is John the Baptist? He's not only this forerunner prophesied to come that teaches us obedience and obscurity is better than disobedience and popularity, but he's this faithful preacher of the gospel that teaches us repentance of sins are a prerequisite to understanding the good news. Listen to verse 4, 7, and 8. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, and the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. And then he says, I have baptized you with water, but he, referring to Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John proclaimed a message and baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He was proclaiming this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist is this faithful preacher who's coming, and he is preparing the way of the Lord by not only serving in obscurity and making straight the paths of the Lord and, and getting ready to announce and herald who Jesus is, but he starts baptizing people and he starts baptizing them um, for in repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. What is going on here in the wilderness? Here's what's going on. Before the people could receive the good news of the gospel, they had to receive the bad news of the gospel. 
And the bad news, which is really good news, is when we come face to face with our own sin, when we come face to face with our own failure, when we come face to face with our own inability, and we turn from that, we repent. That's what that word really means. It's a turning away, a changing of the mind, a changing of the heart, and we're turning away from this sinful disposition, and we're turning back to God. It is what the Bible calls repentance. And I want to say to you today, it is a wonderful message that needs to be heralded. When those of you who call and say, hey, my son or my daughter, uh, they prayed to receive Christ, and we want to bring them by and just talk to you, and some of you may just say, hey, what do you think a, a child has to know in order to be saved? And you guys always hear me say they have to have a personal understanding of their sin. They've got to personally own their sin. Why is that? Because they could mistake Jesus being a good person rather than the Lord and Savior who died on the cross to forgive them of their sins. Jesus is more than a morally good person that we're called to love. He is the Savior of the world who died on the cross for our sins, who calls us to repent and turn from our sins and to trust Him with all of our heart and life. I would say to you, my brothers and sisters, the greatest thing that could ever happen in America is if God would sweep our country with Holy Ghost conviction according to His Word, and we as His people, right? Judgment starts in the house of God that we as His people would start to repent of our sins and turn to Christ and turn to His Word. My brothers and sisters, it is not right. It is not right for a school teacher to uh, say to a little boy or to a little girl, girls really don't exist. And reinforce that multiple times in the classroom to where she has to go home and tell her parents that her teacher in the public classroom told her that little girls really don't exist. My brothers and sisters, we need to turn and repent from a misunderstanding of gender and gender confusion and sexuality and sexual confusion, sexual sin. And we need to understand God made no mistake when he created Adam and Eve and when he created mankind. And we need to get in step with his plan. If you understand that, say amen. You say, what happened How do we minister as a faith family to the person who is confused over their gender identity or or, or they're confused over their sexuality or or they're confused about uh, what what life's really about and what they're supposed to be doing? We are to say to them, every aspect of human nature was corrupted and and fell. It It was brutally... Uh, dismembered and done away with when Adam and Eve sinned and we inherited their sin. So there's no aspect of the human race or creation that was not affected by the fall. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying in just a few more weeks when everything starts blooming and budding and the grass starts growing and the flowers are out and the trees are coming with new leaves and we're getting ready for Easter and the sun is shining and the 30 and 40 degree days turn into 60 and 70 degree days. That is not as good as heaven is. Heaven is better than that. 
Look at your pastor. Heaven is better than this. Do you understand that? That we're going to have a glorified body. No more coronavirus. No more flu. No more cancer. No more sickness. Why is that? Because sin has corrupted every aspect of our human life. Every aspect of our human life. It is vitally, vitally important that we are able to say to people, repent of your sins. Join me in doing this. It's not a one-time event, but repentance is an ongoing matter. We should repent of gluttony. Someone say amen. Fasting is in the book of Mark, and I'm going to preach on fasting. And if I'm so convicted I can, I'm going to tag Brian and say, Brian, you go and preach that Sunday on fasting. We should turn from sexual immorality and repent of that. Someone say amen. We should turn from things like jealousy and idolatry and materialism. Just these things that absolutely tend to ruin our life. We should repent of those things. Would someone say amen? Preacher, you preach like that, we ain't going to have nobody at church. Can I say to y'all, and I I don't want this to happen, but can I say to y'all, I would rather have a church of a hundred faithful, obedient believers who were sharing the gospel than a church of four or five thousand people who did not understand what repentance is. And that may be popular, but it could be disobedient. Are y'all tracking with me? John proclaimed a message and baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. Let's do that this morning. It's 10.58. Let's stand to your feet. I'm going to finish this up as you stand. Verse 7, he's proclaiming this gospel that teaches us repentance of sins is this prerequisite to understanding the good news. I don't want to leave you in that bad news. What is the good news? John proclaimed a message of love and devotion and worship to Jesus. John proclaimed that our lives should adore the Lord. He not only proclaimed it, but he demonstrated it. Verse 7, after me comes he who is mightier than I, and the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This wonderful good news that we get so excited about is this, that no matter how bad in sin our lives are, that the only sin that we cannot be forgiven of is the sin of unbelief. But the moment that God, according to his word, convicts our heart and lets us know, my word is true, this gospel you hear is right, and if you will turn to me, turning away from your sins. You believe I died on the cross and rose from the grave. You can be saved. Your sins can be forgiven. And that is to cause us to bow down and say with John the Baptist, I am not worthy to embrace the feet of Jesus. I am not worthy to stand before him but my proper place 
as a new believer, is as a disciple sitting at his feet. And then lastly, John proclaimed a message of life change that would come through faith in Jesus. He said in verse 8, I have baptized you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized. Jesus was not only filled with the Holy Spirit when he was baptized, but when he ascended into heaven, he asked that third person of the Trinity to come and to fill every believer there as a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture and as a fulfillment of the picture that we're going to learn next week in Jesus' baptism. And when this, this dove descends upon him and the Father makes that great declaration, we're going to see how Jesus, watch this, how Jesus was going to change those people's lives, not by just checking off a bunch of sins that they were turning from. That would be moralism. If you understand that, say amen. But how Jesus would fill their life with the power of the Holy Ghost and change them from the inside out, which is not mysticism or spiritualism, but is faith and object and an objective Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and as Belinda and Justin come, is there a sin this morning that you need to repent of? I don't want you to call it out publicly. I don't want you to come up here and confess it before the church. But I, I want you to ask Jesus if the Lord is convicting you of that sin this morning. If you're like your pastor, multiple sins. Would you turn from them and ask Jesus to forgive you of those sins? Would you ask him to do a work of mercy and grace in your heart? A work of faith? to give you confidence in the work that he did on the cross and through the resurrection that would cause you, that would cause you to want to turn from your sin and to trust Christ. You say, I want to serve the Lord. I want to celebrate Jesus. I want to share the good news. Prepare the way of the Lord by preparing your heart for the task he's called you to. Whatever that is, be a godly husband, a godly wife, a godly parent, someone at work who faithfully shares and points others to Jesus. Church family, it's hard for us to be the people we need to be if our lives are cluttered with sin. If you understand that, say amen. And then if you're here today and you would say, boy, I've just really not been content in obscurity and in obedience. It's difficult, it's hard, and I'm tired. Or it's difficult and it's hard and I'm not enjoying it. I want to say to you today, don't let that cause you to stumble. Recognize that that obedience, wherever you're at, may be difficult, but it's the most honoring to the Lord. And ask God to renew your strength. Ask God to encourage you in the faith. Ask God to bless you in that difficult spot or place. Patiently wait for the Lord as he works that character in you that he ultimately will work out of you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would honor 
the reading and the preaching of your word by stirring our hearts, calling us to repentance. God, our sin is ever before us as long as we are encased in this flesh. But Lord, I'm thankful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, that he rose again. That God, we don't have to die in our sin. We don't have to live in guilt and shame. But God, we can turn from our sins and ask you to forgive us of our sins. And Lord, you say that you will cleanse us. So God, today, will you do just that? Lord, I pray that deep, deep repentance would work within our hearts and lives. That, God, you would allow us to repent of just known sin that you convict us of and we regularly are aware of. And, God, that you would call us to godly sorrow, make known to us even sin that we're not aware of. You tell us in your word, in your word that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked who can possibly know our own hearts and so God in these not just today but in these upcoming weeks these upcoming months God will you help us to walk in repentance and God will you do that for the glory and honor of the name of Christ who gave his life for us work today in this place is my prayer in Jesus name as we lift our voices to the Lord I want to encourage you to pray to come if you want to come and talk uh, today and learn more about the gospel I want to invite you to do that I want to encourage uh, Brian and Jenny if y'all don't care Olivia to stand with Heather uh, in the back that's Heather and Melissa and Gary if y'all want to stand back there or any of combination with Charlotte we want to be able to have the people greet you alright so y'all take your place As we sing, you come. Will you do that?